For some, church is the simplest thing in the world. For others, it can get pretty complicated. So if faith and spirituality is a heck yes, but church is a hell no, you're in the right place. Welcome to Unchurchable. I'm your host, Kit Kennedy. Thank you for tuning in on the first ever episode of Unchurchable. I'm so excited to finally get this project off the ground. I know the first few episodes are going to be a learning curve for me when it comes to mixing podcasts, but anyway, we'll get there and um, I hope you'll be patient with me. (laughs) This podcast came about um, over the course of 18 months of blogging about deconstruction of faith, reconstruction of faith and moving from quite a conservative place in my own experience to a bit more of a progressive um, place. Over this time, I've met people who have either self-excluded from church or being excluded from church on the basis of their beliefs, their desire to question, or perhaps even um, their gender identity or sexuality. This really grieved me because when I look through the Bible, I don't see Jesus as a figure who would cast people aside, but rather a figure who would pursue them and and befriend them and draw them into his, his circle. I see him as an example of inclusion rather than exclusion. So it got me thinking, how do we talk about faith and community if we found ourselves in a position where church just isn't possible for us to comfortably engage with any longer. So therefore, this podcast came about. Now, I've been procrastinating as I mentioned before. What better time to actually pull the trigger on this and get it done than in a global pandemic? We are of course talking about coronavirus. Now, This can be a little bit of a triggering thing for those of us who grew up inside evangelicalism. When I was a youngster, about eight or nine, I remember seeing a movie about the rapture and the great tribulation. This was something that was part of the last days movement. Now the last days movement concentrates on the book of Revelation, on what's going to happen at the end of days. It interests me though that it seems that almost every generation since Paul and the apostles have thought theirs was the last days. The last day's movement, you might have you might think of the four horses of the apocalypse straight away. You might think of the Great Tribulation, which is supposed to wipe out up to 75% of the world's population. You might think of the Antichrist. You might think of the rapture and persecution against the Christians. All of this is pretty fearsome stuff. So when you pair that with a global pandemic like coronavirus, it can actually trigger some pretty serious anxiety. What if this is? the Great Tribulation? What if we've somehow missed the rapture? What if this is the last days? I caught up with a really interesting young woman this week to talk about some of this stuff. Her name's Shari Smith and she's from a a group of women called Isa Rising, which is a a, um, group of people that are really concentrating on empowering women to be all they can be within an egalitarian uh, Christian framework. Um, They look at a lot of important issues, but one of the things that Shari has been talking about is actually end times anxiety during coronavirus. I hope today's very first podcast will bring us a little bit of perspective on how we can deal with this. Is the book of Revelation predictive or is it reflective? Is it prophetic or is it apocalyptic fiction? I'll leave the rest up to you, but I hope that this little discussion that we've had today with, uh, with Shari will be a really interesting one. So, without further ado, here comes the first episode of Unchurchable. 
this lady had my attention because her Twitter handle was Faith and Coffee. And as a mother of two young kids, I don't think there are any two things in the world more important than that. (laughs) (laughs) But then I discovered that you're part of a woman's network that's really empowering Christian women to, um, you know, see themselves as valid and equal in ministry and in contribution to faith and community. So can you tell me a little bit about Ease of Rising and how that came about? Yeah, so um, Ease of Rising exists as a, a group of women who work to equip and empower women both inside and outside the, of the church. A lot of our energy is focused on um empowering women as clergy members but in the last year we've seen our focus kind of shift more towards helping women embrace who they are love their bodies Mm. love their sexuality um we focus more on intersectionality between um, race and feminism um Mm. which is a really important area that i feel like the church really needs to do a better job of covering. So I'm, I'm really, yeah. really um, interested to see where this takes us in the next year or two. Yeah. Now, it really, it caught my attention because I was kind of coming out of complementarianism, which is mm-hmm. a, a doctrine um, that sees men and women as equal in value, but not equal in authority. Right. And I know that that's the line that's trotted out from the pulpit when we talk about complementarianism, but mm-hmm. truly it does make a woman question her value if she's not able to have equal authority um like oh, for not sure. able to preach or not able to teach other people so i found ease of rising to be really um, encouraging as a woman because it points out biblical egalitarianism or the belief that women can preach and can teach and can be all that um all that they want to be so um and intersectionality is so interesting because you know you don't realize how privileged you are until you start to actually look at how uh race or weight or various different like differently abled people are affected oh for sure um Mm. it really i I think you, you really need to get the conversation started before people are able to kind of open their eyes and realize you know I mean, for me as as a a white woman, I, I was completely right. blind to racism yes. for so many years, and um, particularly yeah. now talking with um, Sierra and Grisel, who are on our team, they've yeah. really opened my eyes to how important this topic is, and it really needs to be on the front stage of the conversation. Yeah, I've started actually sitting in church and looking. Um, like as I'm, I'm from a small country town and we don't have a really diverse population if mm. we're honest but over the course of the last couple of years we've started to see some beautiful Sudanese and um, like other African nations kind of um, members of our congregation start to kind of represent these different places mm. and I've started actually because of Sierra looking at our stage and going oh you know how do we encourage these people to be part of our music teams and and stuff like that because you really don't consider how you're representing opportunity um until you start to think of things through their eyes so Mm -hmm. um 
Yeah. Now you guys hosted your first conference just recently. Um, Well, we were supposed to next month. Um, We ended up postponing that because of the the Um, COVID-19. We're hoping to be able to um, set it up again for possibly October or November. It kind of just depends on how things go with the pandemic and when it's safe to yeah. do this. Cause you know, our, the, the health of our, our um, community is really our priority here. So yeah. we're just kind of playing it by ear. Yeah. Now COVID-19, this is the topic that we've decided to open this mm. podcast with. Um, when I was about, I reckon eight or 10 years old, I remember seeing a movie in kids church that scared the heebie-jeebies out of me. It was a film about the rapture and Mm. the Great Tribulation, and not only did it put a lot of fear in me about the end times, I confess I have found Revelation to be the most difficult book of the Bible to Mm -hmm. read, and I have avoided it for large chunks of my Christianity. It also put a lifelong fear of wearing bad underwear because... There were scenes in this movie where people would be ratchet and their clothes would just be left on the ground. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's it's a funny thing, but it's not a funny thing. The Last Days movement um, is an interesting one. Uh, People's obsessions with the the apocalypse, people, you know, talking about these being the last days and then we Mm -hmm. see something like COVID-19 and it, it does kind of trigger and I do use the word trigger on purpose um, anxiety about the great tribulation and the apocalypse oh for sure tell me what do you think about this whole thing um well as somebody who was raised to believe all of that as you know this this is going to be our reality um we will face this great uh period of distress and um calamity and disaster um having been out of that movement I you know I have some distance from it but I still have these voices in the back of my head that are telling me you know this is what we were told to look for you know and I I can feel if I'm I'm not being mindful of it I can feel the anxiety kind of rising Mm. up in my body and I have to remember to still these voices with you know I was taught a lie <laughs> and you know that lie has a lasting impact on my emotional and mental health but it was still a lie and it's something that I can reassure myself about. Yeah now that's interesting because I was reading um, admittedly just before jumping online and hitting record that mm. not everybody uh, not not all biblical scholars believe in biblical literalism at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so some some believe that the the Bible is the literal word of God. Some believe that there's I, um, you know some of the substance has been lost in translation, and you know others believe that the Bible is not literal. Um, mm-hmm. Wherever you stand on that is one thing, but there's also um, a bit of a divided opinion as to whether the book of Revelation is pertinent to these, you know, the year 2020, Mm -hmm. or whether it was more apocalyptic fiction that was meant to encapsulate the general feeling of being entrapped by Rome back in the beginning of the early church. Or Um, it was a historical document about things that have already taken place. Um, Right. There's just so much speculation and... um, I, I was raised to see it as a very literal 
uh, narrative of events that were to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think over time, I kind of shifted to um, probably more of a this is historical or this is commentary. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. So that must be a bit more of a comfortable place to sit looking at that book as some look, looking at the book of Revelation. Yeah, it's. Mm. It is also a book for me that I've had to avoid over the years, um, just because, you know, I've been living this reality since I was just a young child, you know, I I remember having conversations around the dinner table, about eight or nine, and talking about, you know, how are we going to survive the tribulation and the persecution that's going to come, and, you know... As a child, that's not something you need to be thinking about. That's that's a very traumatic conversation to be having. <laughs> sake, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it must be interesting. Obviously, I'm in Australia, so mm-hmm. we currently have um, a prime minister who is evangelical, mm. um, and you guys are blessed with um, <laughs> the embodiment of bad tanning and hair pieces, <laughs> Donald Trump. Yep. Um, you know, uh, I kind of grew up to think that the Antichrist would be this charming kind of person. So when Barack Obama was in power, there was a lot of talk about maybe him being the Antichrist. Which I yeah, I remember now. this. <laughs> and then you guys got Trump. So how, what, what is the general mood over there within kind of, I'd, I'd probably, if I was to put you in a box, it would be progressive mm-hmm. kind of Christianity. Would that be a correct that, That's very fair to say, I think. <laughs> What's the kind of mood within um, the more progressive sections of Christianity over there when it comes to this whole end time stuff or Trump or, you know? Uh, kind of well, within the the um, the progressive circles that I'm I'm kind of in locally, all I can say is they're not Trump's biggest fans. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of um, disbelief. Um, just seeing how more vulnerable uh, sections of our society are being impact, Im- impacted mm-hmm. by the choices that he's he and his administration have made. It's just there's there's a lot of anger over that. We're seeing the anger about um, the, the direction that politics has taken. Mm-hmm. Um, what I noticed in your blog that you talked about two responses that we could have to the end the last days kind of movement and there was a rational response and there was a healing response and obviously they're the two more positive responses that we can have the first response is obviously a fear response which Mm -hmm. you know we can engage with this topic with a lot of fear in our hearts how do you move from that fear response to a more rational and healing kind of place i think it starts with um just acknowledging the emotions that are in our bodies um that's that's got to be our starting point um Mm -hmm. unless we are aware that we are being taken over by anxiety or stress or grief um it's kind of hard yeah it's kind of it's kind of hard to move past that point um I find it's interesting that you raise the word grief uh, as we particularly focus on COVID-19. Mm-hmm. It is almost a grief for a way of life, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there's a feeling the world has changed. Mm-hmm. And so we can battle through that grief not knowing what it is. And we can kind of, we can move through those stages of denial or anger or bargaining or maybe yeah. just do this or just do that. Um, so acknowledging that it's grief must surely help 
us to take pause and be present um, within our bodies and realize the stress that that's causing. I would think so, yeah. Um, I know it has for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for myself personally, like writing is kind of my go to for therapeutic process, but in the last couple of weeks, I've just, I've felt this overwhelming sense of grief where I just, mm-hmm. I don't have the words. I just kind of have to sit with my feelings and um, let it take me where it needs to take me. Um, sometimes yeah. that's even anger. It brings me into anger. Like, you know, why do I have to be stuck in my house? Why can't I go to this big event that I was really counting on? You know, like yeah. there's life has really changed for so many of us and I think it's important to acknowledge that that's a really hard thing and you know we can do we can deal with hard things we just have to acknowledge that it's there yes now and this is another thing that that you talked about is that humanity has been through depressions before Mm -hmm. we've been through plagues before we've gotten through things before um, how how do you personally maintain perspective on that um, instead of, I suppose, getting caught up in the panic of, you know, is this the tribulation? Is this the rapture of, mm. you know, on the way? I think it's more, um, that is how I, I keep the perspective is I realize the, the world has been through um, devastations and traumas like pandemics before and um, financial scares before and it helps to reassure me personally that you know we as a human race are very resilient people we know how to bounce back from great tragedy and we know how to carry on with our lives Um, and that, that that helps me to go okay so the world is not ending we've been here before we we will, you know, maybe we'll be devastated for a few months, maybe even a year, but we we do know how to bounce back from this eventually when the time comes. Yeah. And already we're seeing things, we're seeing Mother Nature bounce back, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I don't know, I like to see it as symbolic, not as, you know, this is something that Mother Nature has done. Uh, right. <laughs> I like to see it as symbolic of the fact that we will bounce back, like we've yeah. seen um, the the canals in Venice become clear for the first time. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see wildlife when in places. Um, I was chatting to somebody uh, just uh, he was in Barcelona actually. He said there was a wild boar in the main street of Barcelona. Oh wow! Which is kind of you know hilarious. In a yeah, way, but, it's um, unreal. <laughs> so, I suppose the the reading the Bible from in a different way would be one place to start mm-hmm. and to realize um, revelation isn't necessarily indicative of what's going to happen but of what has already been right um, what are your personal coping mechanisms for or what what kind of coping mechanisms do you recommend for people who are really finding the anxiety of all of this a lot to bear uh, for me um, the two uh, main things that have been really helping me is uh, meditation or mindfulness, whichever term you prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, it really helps me to just kind of calm and relax my body and my mind and, 
you know, all these anxious thoughts and, and the anxious energy in, in my body just kind of goes quiet for a few minutes and it helps me to kind of reset my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did a meditation right before our interview, which was <laughs> helpful for nerves. Yeah, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, it's really, I found, I find this fascinating in my other job. I'm a research writer mm. um, and uh, one of the neuroscientists that I follow as part of my job was saying about how the amygdala hijacks the brain mm-hmm. during times of stress. Yeah. So um, mindfulness meditation, and a lot of Christians freak out when they hear the word meditation because right. they think, oh, it's some Eastern religion thing and it's, you know, Kundalini or all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it took me a long time to be able to embrace meditation, but I'm so glad yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah, because what it is is... Um, is embodiment isn't it mm-hmm. sometimes we can get so far ahead of ourselves and let yeah. our anxiety run away with us and we don't notice those tells within our own body for me right. it's the taste of metal in my mouth it mm. is an elevated heart rate it is an elevated respiratory rate mm-hmm. um, so meditation is about coming back to myself and actually noticing my thoughts and letting them go instead of holding on to them and right um yeah so it's a mindfulness thing it's not a spiritual thing right um spiritualism is something that can be practiced alongside it Mm -hmm. meditate on the word of god if you'd like well and um something i've been kind of testing the waters with for myself is um prayer beads is a form of of meditation and um I what I've been doing is I've found psalms that I can kind of go through on my prayer beads and it helps to um okay it, it, yeah it, you know it puts my mind on the on the word of God and it it's a mindful practice it calms yeah. my mind calms my body it's the exact same thing but it's more Christ-centered if you will okay yeah I could be a complete noob here but I've never heard of prayer beads I mean, I've heard of the rosary. Are they different? Uh, Well, they're basically the same thing. Um, I I only just got into this, so I'm not going to claim I'm an expert or anything. But um, I bought a a set of um, Anglican prayer beads. um, And it's it's much smaller than the rosary. The rosary is like this big necklace. But the the Anglican beads are more like a little bracelet or something you can wear on on your your wrist and uh it's it's the same practice in the end as far as i'm aware it's going through bead by bead yeah reciting the verses or the okay um mantra or whatever you want to call it (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. now i think a lot of people kind of uh, the toes curl up at the use of the word mantra Mm. but really um i've been learning again that that's not something spiritual necessarily it right. is something that triggers your state of mind to where you want to go mm-hmm. so um if you have a mantra you kind of can associate how you f- like how you know like if your if your mantra is you know god is in control or i'm going to get through this or i'm strong, right or i'm worthy whatever your mantra is you can kind of associate like even just the the meditation hum that they do mm-hmm. is about associating with a message not actually as you know it, it's an interesting i don't quite right. understand it yet but I'm, I'm learning not to be so offended by 
I'm, I'm learning not to react to terminologies. I'm learning to learn what's behind them. And it's it's a process, um, especially for those who came out of evangelicalism. We were taught to kind of have these knee-jerk reaction to right. certain terms or words. And um, yeah. for me personally, I've had to learn to sit for a moment and listen and find out more before I respond and then I realize oh you know I was taught a completely different story about this and now I've learned something yeah now can I focus in on that uh leaving evangelicalism mm -hmm. that kind of process of deconstruction because mm -hmm. I don't think anything could possibly be as triggering for those old mindsets than right now um when you feel out of control politically and you feel out of control with personal safety. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to people who are earlier in their deconstruction journey? You know, they've just kind of stepped out of evangelicalism. They're looking at the world and going, what the heck am I going to hell now? Mm. Are we living in the great tribulation? What would you say to those people? First and foremost, I would say, you know, just be gentle with yourself. Um, we're all kind of figuring out this pandemic thing together. Um, yeah. But then spe specifically to these anxieties of the Great Tribulation and the rapture and all of this scary end time stuff, I would just say, you know, um, we're going to be okay. <laughs> um <laughs> It's, it's, it's really hard, especially if you're just fresh out of that system, to be able to quiet your mind to those anxieties. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that we were taught a lie, and we have to name it as a lie. Um, yeah. We can't embrace truth until we accept that we were lied to. Wow. That is a point that I'd like to sit on mm. for a little while, because evangelicalism really it, it took it took a bit of creative license with the bible i feel oh for um, sure and you know for me i kind of grew up thinking that these these people that i listened to preach they weren't just interpreting the word of god like they had this special channel to god and mm -hmm. that they were something special um and you stop seeing them as flawed humans with a microphone and you start seeing them as lesser gods. Mm -hmm. um, and so therefore some of these doctrines, um, like the prosperity gospel that makes you look at yourself when your budget's a little bit tight and go, Oh gee, what am I doing wrong? Or, mm. you know, the faith movement where if there's any sickness in your body, you know, maybe you're not saved properly and right. which is rubbish by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's so many things that we just took for gospel and they're not so um you know what what was it that allowed you to come to the point of actually naming some of these things as lies because that can be a really difficult point for people to get to right um well it was it was a process for me um i actually started with the last day stuff that was the first point where i was able to go something isn't right here mm -hmm. um you know, I, I, I kind of stopped at some point and this verse just kept coming to my mind when I was looking around at the, the culture of the last days. And it was, um, oh, I'm so bad with, with references, but it was um, the verse about how we, there is no fear in love. We are made perfect in love. 
and I was looking around and I realized all there is is fear all there is is um right that's so important yeah like there is no fear in love there is no fear in Jesus Mm-hmm. Why am I being taught to be so afraid of the world around me and the future? This does not sound like God. And yeah, that yeah. was really it for me, I think. The fruit was not lining up with what I had been told to watch for. That is so interesting. Um, what it was for me, <sighs> back in my old days, I used to write Christian fiction. I've taken both of my titles down off the internet. Please, please do not Google them. Um, <laughs> But for me, it was looking at the last days movement as well and going, what is the embodiment of, you know, God's perfect will on earth? Mm. And I couldn't see anything good when I looked at the church taking over. And it was something like The Handmaid's Tale that was Mm -hmm. kind of forming in my mind. And I'm going, oh, gosh, that's terrifying. Um, And the scripture that I came to was... um, you know, it was about what is the kingdom of God and it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Mm. Ghost. And I was going, okay, so I'm looking for righteousness and any legalistic person can have righteousness. Mm -hmm. Peace, oof. Like if there's mental illness that is manifesting after you're, you know, devoting yourself to um, study of the Bible or whatnot, then, you know, it's not breeding peace in you. It should be breeding peace in you and, Mm. and joy. And I'm going, okay. How is this lining up with my experience of faith? And so, again, yeah, so I guess similar to you, it was it was the last day's movement stuff and it was, um, you know, fear. It was, okay, what place should fear have in my faith? Mm-hmm. I suppose the answer is none. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm dreadfully sorry if you can hear my children all in the background. The, I, I can now, after 26 minutes on this recording, declare to everyone out there listening that... The nap time has been a disaster. (laughs) So, as a former nanny, I feel you. (laughs) It's it's interesting. Um, Usually, usually there's a very regular routine in our house. The nanny's here on Mondays and Tuesdays. Mm. The kids are in care on Thursdays and Fridays. Um, But and now my guy and I are sharing the study. And, you know, the kids are supposed mm. to nap for a couple of hours and that's what it's supposed to be like. But mm-hmm. COVID-19 changed yeah. the world. And yeah, changed. there are no regular routines anymore. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, no. So um, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing the world adapt in different ways during COVID-19. I'm seeing people connect more intentionally, mm-hmm. even though they're only able to do it online because of lockdowns. I'm personally making a lot more FaceTime chats. Um, I'm personally prioritizing exercise because it gives my brain an opportunity to discharge some of that stress out through mm-hmm. the muscles. What are some of your hot tips? We've covered meditation and we've covered those prayer beads. What do you do in terms of connection with other people or engagement with spirituality during this time? Um, yeah, just like you said, you know, just being intentional about reaching out. I'm um, emailing people, texting people, um, you know, just connecting with, with them however I can right now. Mm-hmm. Um and it's really important. Um, I think it's really easy at this point where everybody's kind of in lockdown and in quarantine to f- start to feel isolated and kind mm-hmm. of out of touch with the rest of the world. So I think that's really important to make that um, a priority. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, like you, I'm also trying to make exercise a priority. Um, I'm doing yoga. I've got my exercise bike. Um, so that's keeping me pretty active and helping yeah. me with my anxious energy. Yeah. Um, and as for spirituality, um, my church has been really great. Uh, they immediately, once they shut the doors about two weeks ago, um, they immediately created an online community. Uh, so there's a Facebook for people who are on Facebook. They have a website for anybody else who isn't on Facebook. They're live streaming. Mm -hmm. They're doing hymn sings. They're going to create a book group. Like it's, they've, they've been really great about that, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's nice to be connected to a community like that. Yeah. Now, speaking of book groups, you also run a women's book group. On, mm -hmm. It's a closed kind of book group online, and I've gone and blown the top on it. Um, <laughs> what were some of your book recommendations for people who want to get some good reading that brings calm and perspective during this time? Um, yeah, so the book that we're actually reading right now, which is probably very relevant to this conversation, is uh, inspired by Rachel Held Evans. Um, oh, R.H.E. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I haven't started reading it, so give us a scoop on that. Uh, well, <laughs> to be honest, I'm only about quarter of the way through. <laughs> hey, quarter um, of the way through further than I am. Yeah, so well, what it's about is um, she's kind of looking at how evangelicalism interprets scripture, and she's asking the question, is that appropriate? Is there another way that we can do this? Mm -hmm. Um and so she gets into like historical and um, grammatical context of the different books. Um, she, yeah. the first, I, I don't know if it's the introduction or the the first chapter where she's talking about the creation account, and she's explaining how you know evangelicals like to see this as a true story. Yeah. But if you dig into the language and into the culture, you, you realize that there's more to it. It's, um, mm -hmm. yeah. it, it's more like poetry. It's, um, mm -hmm. It was written during the time of exile to kind of help the Israelites make sense of where they came from. And, you know, there's a God that is in charge of it all. Yeah. Um, which was very different than what I, I was raised to believe. <laughs> Yeah, that's that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because um, mm -hmm. I, I was raised to, to believe, well, I was a biblical literalist, mm -hmm. um, which leaves so many holes in, you know, in interpretation. Like it leaves, you, you know, you kind of you hear from the pulpit, God never contradicts himself, and yet the Bible is just riddled with contradictions. Mm -hmm. And um, But yet, if it's the literal word of God, you know, how dare we question? Yeah. Um, I've actually found the process of questioning to be a really rich and really rewarding thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I like engaging with it as poetry and engaging with it as prose with a, a beauty and an illustrative nature to it that can mm -hmm. help us make sense of the world and make sense of what we're going through. Uh, not necessarily as a measuring stick that we need to critique ourselves by right. or beat ourselves up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, as we kind of bring this interview to its close, and thank you for being part of the first ever uh, 
session of the Unchurchable podcast. What can we expect from the Ease of Rising conference when it goes ahead? And it will go ahead. Um, <laughs> we're, we're still kind of figuring that out. Um, so Megan and I, Megan Chance, um, if you mm-hmm. listen to Faith and Feminism, she's yes, the host of that mm-hmm. podcast. Um, she and I have been planning two different talks. Mm-hmm. Um, one is on um, sexuality and purity culture. Oh, um, which is really, it's, it's going to be really great. We've had a few phone calls over this and we've been digging into scripture and it's really interesting the kind of um, stuff that we've been coming up with for yeah. for our discussion. Um, and the other one is going to be on deconstructing from abusive theology. Um, yeah, so I'm really, <laughs> really excited about that one. That's something I'm obviously very, very passionate about. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that Sierra was planning to talk about the intersectionality of race and feminism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe Casey, I, oh, I'm not sure if I should, if I can comment because I'm not entirely sure what her That's topic okay. is. <laughs> I think she's going to be speaking on um, diet culture, oh, um, which wow. is really, really important. I love the, the posts that she's been coming up with so far on this. It's, yeah. a, it's a big topic. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm in Australia, so I'm going to have to find another way to get my hands on that content. But um, I love what Isa Rising is doing in mm. empowering women. And um, and like you said, deconstructing abusive theology. And really, that's the heart behind Unchurchable, the podcast, and mm. also my blog, kitkennedy.com. Um, I believe that a, a well-informed faith is the one that you allow yourself to ask the questions and see where the answers mm-hmm. take you. Because truth, in the end, stands up to scrutiny and it's not Absolutely. you should be afraid of exploring. So I guess to kind of recap the things that we've talked about over the last half an hour is that we don't have to read the book of Revelation like a predictive text. It is a, um, it's more likely to be a reflection on things past and mm-hmm. allegory on things past rather than a commentary on things future um, and it's important to actually check in with ourselves mm-hmm. um, check in with our mental health and find intentional ways of connecting with the world around us while we're in isolation due to this pandemic so mm-hmm. um, thank you for your time Shari uh, if you want to follow mm-hmm. Shari and is a rising crew you can start by finding her on Twitter at faith and coffee with three E's and you can find uh, you're on you're on Instagram as well aren't you what's your handle there yeah it's uh, sherry.a.smith fabulous thank you so much for your time mm-hmm. thank you for having me Well, that's it. Thank you for tuning into the very first episode of Unchurchable. Make sure you tune in next week when I sit down to talk with author Gretchen Baskerville. Gretchen is, again, a really interesting Christian woman. I love finding these. (laughs) She just recently authored a book called The Life-Saving Divorce. This is taking on a very important topic, um, that of escaping toxic relationships and of course the great evangelical uh, narrative around divorce it's an important topic it's an interesting topic we actually get to cover off on um, deconstructing purity culture a little bit in this conversation so make sure you tune in while i talk with gretchen baskerville next week on unchurchable thank you for tuning in i'm kit kennedy